Well, of course, the, the topic, as you guys, I think, know, is the Calvary distinctives. And apparently Paul Smith came out last month and, and talked about that and looked at it from a certain uh, perspective. And I think it, Gary was telling me today that there are going to be some other guys that are going to come out and share occasionally on similar kinds of issues. And um, I wanted to just look at one passage of scripture, just read it. Actually, you guys know it very well, but, you know, I think it just sort of summarizes what any ministry ought to be about and, and hopefully what Calvary Chapel is about. I think Calvary Chapel has been about this and maybe we need to be reminded of that, but it is uh, Zechariah 4.6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And, and of course, that's been, you know, that's been reiterated over and over and over again. Oftentimes, a person will ask me, you know, well, what's really the secret of Calvary? Or, you know, what's the essence of it? Or, and, and I really, really believe this with all my heart that, that this is really it right here. Zechariah 4-6 is really it. It's, it's a work of the Spirit of God. And um, I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of that fact. And if we if we keep that as the focal point, I think we will we will do well, and we will do well as as we head into the future. Uh, if we lose this perspective, then I don't think we'll do that well. The the distinctives, as as you guys know, Pastor Chuck wrote a book called The Calvary Distinctives, and I think there are um, 12 or 13 uh, distinctives that he highlights in there, you know, distinct aspects of the ministry of of Calvary Chapel. Um, I've sort of summarized that myself and and brought it down. I want to look more at what what the essence is. Uh, Some of the particulars, I will tell you guys honestly today, uh, some of them I agree with, some of them I don't wholeheartedly agree with um, but I think there's an essence there that we all agree with and that's what what I want to really talk about today you know what when we talk about the distinctives what is the essence of what we're talking about versus some of the the particulars and so I, I've sort of narrowed it down to five things that uh, I see as really being this the distinct features of the ministry of Calvary Chapel in the past and for the most part presently and hopefully uh, for the future as well. Um, the, the first distinctive, and, and I believe that this, I, I believe that all of these are, are actually in the book, either um, you know clearly stated or implied. Um, but the first is, of course, the centrality of Jesus Christ. That this ministry is about Jesus Christ. It's about Him crucified, risen from the dead, ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, returning in glory to establish His kingdom. It's not about a man. It's not about any man. And uh, regardless of who that man might be. And I really feel strongly that if we, if we keep that perspective, we will do well. You know, the question is constantly being asked about the future of Calvary Chapel and, 
You know, what happens when Chuck passes off the scene and all of that sort of thing. And I think for people that are asking that question, it might be an indicator that maybe they've lost something to some extent. Or maybe they've failed to recognize that the ministry is not really about a man. And it's really about the Lord himself. And so I'm perfectly confident that the ministry is going to keep going uh, right on you know, into the future wonderfully and powerfully as long as we keep that perspective that the ministry has always been about Jesus Christ. And, and of course, Chuck has always taught us that the ministry is about Jesus Christ. And he's done his best to keep himself out of the limelight and out of the, the forefront. And, and, of course, you can only do so much. People will inevitably um, exalt a man, you know, put a higher uh, priority or emphasis upon a man than they ought to do. I think those things are inescapable. Um, but I think Chuck's done a fairly good job at you know, keeping the focus off of himself and, and trying to you know, keep things centered on the Lord. And that's really what the ministry is all about. Calvary Chapel is about Jesus. And when you come into a Calvary Chapel, that's what you sense. You sense that the Lord is here. This is... God's in this place. He's doing something. And, and, of course, because we, we have that, uh, we have that perspective. Now, it is possible. And we, it's happened historically in various denominations and, and it certainly, you know, can happen to us as well. Sometimes I think Calvary guys think we're, uh, we are, um, Immune, yeah. <laughs> From the foibles and, and the, the mistakes and the things that, that previous generations of Christians and denominations have made. You know, we sort of think, well, well that, that never happened to us. No, that happened to the Methodists and that happened to these guys. But, you know, that'll never happen to us because we're Calvary Chapel. No, that happened to that them because they're men. And it'll happen to us because we're men too if we don't watch it, you know. And so... And we've even seen, I think, to some extent, we, we have seen places where the focus has been taken off of Jesus and a little bit too much of an emphasis on a man. And, you know, the name of the person now is the, you know, that's what's being highlighted. And the emphasis is on this guy's ministry and this guy's ability to preach and this guy to draw the crowds and all that. It's a human tendency. But we've got to we've got to resist it. We've got to fight against it. And I think George Whitfield had probably the best perspective on it. He said, Let the name of Whitfield perish and the name of Jesus Christ live on. And so the centrality of Jesus. You guys know that. Secondly, the word. We all know that, right? Calvary Chapel's about the word. But what I want to remind you guys of is that it's not just about the Word. It is about the Word. But I believe that the key is not simply that it's about the Word, but that that it's really about the Word being influenced directly and immediately by the Spirit of God. Now, as you guys know, lots of people teach the word in, in the Christian community. There are, there are good 
Bible teachers, great Bible teaching ministries that we're all familiar with. You hear them on the radio, you you know, pick up their commentaries, you maybe attend their seminars and so forth. And, and there are guys who do a great job, technically speaking, in expositing the Word. Something that I think is a distinctive with us, though, as in comparison to some of those ministries, is that there is, or, or there ought to be, uh, a radical dependency on the Spirit of God that allows the Spirit of God to influence the message as it's going forth. And I know you guys, some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a fine line. And it it's one of those things that sometimes isn't all that easy to even detect. It, sometimes it's... It's almost imperceptible, but it but it's not imperceptible. There's there's something there. When a person, depending on the Spirit of God, gets up and begins to exposit the Word, and God is able to take that Word, and He's able to bring it in a fresh, immediate sense to a person's heart, because there's this there's this thing going on. There's this dependency on the Spirit of God that I think is allowing God to move in people's hearts in ways that He might be limited. Uh, with if a per, if the person teaching the word has a has a different approach or a different perspective, I know people and and I and I, I see this as a weakness. If a guy has three services on Sunday morning, and he gets up in each service, and every service is exactly the same word for word verbatim, to me there's something wrong there. Because that, that shows me that there is not a, a, a strong dependency on the Spirit of God. Because you're going to have three services, you're going to have three different groups of people. You're going to have all different kinds of issues going on. You're going to have the same text, and essentially you're going to have the same message. But there are going to be elements of it that are designed by the Lord Himself for those people in that second service that weren't in the first service or won't be in the third service. And And I remember when I... Back when I was a pastor, you know, I, I'm an assistant pastor now, so I have to reflect back on those years when I was a pastor. Um, but I remember those times on a Sunday morning of getting up and doing the three services and marveling at the end of the day at how different each one of the services were, although in one sense they were all the same. You know, it was the same text, it was the same general message that we were communicating, but there were these distinct features that had application to the folks that were there at the particular services. That's I'm, I'm just trying to describe to you guys what I'm talking about. And that's what has been happening in Calvary Chapel for years and years and years. And it's something that I think needs to continue to happen. Now, I'm all for study. I'm all for digging into you know, whatever you want to dig into, whether it's the background or the languages or whatever. I'm all for that. And I do that. But when I get up in the pulpit, I want to be, I want to have a dependency on the Lord where I'm saying, Lord, okay, I've got this in front of me, but, you know, I could rattle this off in ten minutes or three minutes maybe. Lord, you've got to, you've got to come and breathe some life into this. You've got to bring, uh, something that's immediate. Well, I think the best way to, to really define it is I'm talking about the word spoken with a prophetic element to it. There's a prophetic element to it. And what I'm saying, and you, some of you guys you know, might see it, you might agree with me, some of you might not agree with me, 
There are good Bible teachers who do not have a prophetic element to what they're doing. They're teaching the Bible in the sense that, hey, it's the Word of God. It's an accurate exposition. They're giving you the right information and so forth. And because it's God's Word, of course, it's going to work in people's lives. But there's a missing ingredient. It's that spontaneous, right there on the spot, God spoke to me. I was the only one in the building. And man, it was just me and the Lord. That's what's been happening for the past 30-something years in Calvary Chapel. And I just pray that it, it continues to happen. And that's, that's what I mean when we talk about the Word. That's, that's what I'm thinking about. That's, what, that's what's on my heart when I talk about the Word being, you know, um, again, we all know it's foundational. We know it's a huge distinctive. You know, it's funny though, if you ask people or if you listen to certain people talking about, you know, what is the distinctive of Calvary Chapel or what are the, the key elements or what, what's the secret to success? You guys remember seeing um, Venture of Faith? You, you guys have probably all seen Venture of Faith. Remember the interview with MacArthur? MacArthur had a totally different take on what Calvary Chapel was. To him, it was the music. It was the, the cool, hippie people with their guitars and stuff. And, you know, he talks about, you know, I used to stand in the back. Nobody knew I was there. And I'd kind of watch this thing. And he attributes a lot of it to, to that. Well, that was certainly an ingredient and what was going on. But, you know, it's interesting to me that John doesn't really come out strongly in the area of talking about the, the word, you know, for Calvary Chapel. Um, he he kind of just bypasses that. And maybe because, I don't know, maybe he doesn't think that we actually do that good of a job in comparison to him in expositing the word. So maybe that's why he didn't emphasize it. But... Uh, but but although you know I can appreciate MacArthur on a lot of things and he's got a lot of great information, I have listened to him many times and and I I've not sensed that prophetic element there. And I've, I thought this is great information. This is accurate stuff. This is all good when it comes to you know a technical exposition of this text. But where's the power? Might have something to do with the fact that he sort of denies some of that stuff. So. So the word, but not just the word, but the word prophetically uh, brought forth because of that dependency on the Spirit. And then that, of course, leads us to the third, um, the third distinctive, which would be the Spirit of God. And the emphasis on the Spirit. You know, when I was in London, there was a man who was pastoring the... Uh, pastoring Westminster Chapel, the, you know, that great historic church formerly pastored by, oh, who was it? I think uh, Joseph Parker once pastored it. Uh, of course, G. Campbell Morgan pastored it, and then uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones pastored it. And R.T. Kendall was the successor to Lloyd-Jones. And R.T. and I had several conversations, and, uh, you know, he didn't really like me or appreciate the fact that I was there in his, on his turf. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. But he asked me at one point, he said, now, he asked me to justify our being there. You know, what, what right do you have? This is literally what he said. What right do you have to come to London and to, to do what you're doing? And I said, well, 
you know, really, I felt like he forfeited everything when he invited Rodney Howard Brown to come to Westminster Chapel and to speak. You know, to me, that was like, okay, you just gave up any right you previously had to, you know, stake a claim on this turf, if that's what you want to call it. Don Arnott, Rodney Howard Brown, the whole, you know, Toronto crew came through there and decimated that place. But, but what I said to him um, was that, and he's big on this. I mean, he's written books on it. The Word and the Spirit. He's big on that whole thing. But that's what I pointed out to him. I said, you know, amongst other things, I said, one of the things is, I believe that we have a biblical perspective on the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is, it's not really, um, it's not really being hit here from what I've seen in this country. We've got the, the typical polarization. We've got the two extremes. We've got the charismatic thing over here and we've got the the hardcore sort of reformed cessationist approach over here and we don't have that what I believe is the biblical balance of, of a real expectation and dependency upon the Spirit of God. And, you know, he, he didn't necessarily agree that it wasn't there. He thought that he had found that but it was, like I said, it was through these guys. He was very powerfully influenced by John Wimber and considered Wimber to be, you know, a, a real prophet of God and and so forth. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and this is an area, guys, where I think we have drifted quite a ways away from where we originally began. And, you know, most of you guys have been to pastors' conferences over the past few years at a pastor's conference, a lot of times I will be the one that's, that's doing the afterglow. And, and I have found more ignorance and just a, sort of an inability to function in that particular environment than, than in any other environment. I, I have found less of a, of an understanding and even a desire for that kind of ministry among pastors than I have among just regular Christian people. And in some cases, just you sense a downright resistance. You know, we, we don't want to, you know, do this or, or go in this direction. And, you know, we talk about the Spirit, of course, and we, in, verbally and, and I think theoretically, theologically, we, we acknowledge the fact that we are not cessationist. We're not in that camp of believing that the the sign gifts disappeared with the you know the death of the last apostle or whatever. But practically, we're sort of there. You know, we don't really have much of an opportunity for anything like that to happen. Sometimes we get really bold and we'll have a little afterglow over in a room way back somewhere that few people can find, you know, hey, okay, if you want that, go back there just so you don't bother anybody and, uh, you know, that'll be good. And I, I think that's an unfortunate thing. And, you know, to me, it seems like so often, so much of what we're doing is we're reacting to something else. And, you know, when you, whenever you react to something, you generally sort of go from one extreme to another. And here's what's happened at Calvary over the years, I think. We, we reacted to the charismatic movement. We reacted to the vineyard movement. But we reacted by going all the way over, practically speaking, into the other area of just sort of, you know, that's messy, you know, we believe it, but let's not, let's not bother with it because it's just too much work. 
And so what's ended up happening, I think, is that we've created uh, an environment of spectators in the church. People come to church and they're just spectators. They're sitting there watching you use your, use your gift. They don't really get much of an opportunity to use theirs. They're not even so much encouraged to do that. And I think that's a mistake. One thing that I've seen that I think is a huge mistake is that in, in the minds of some people, the Bible study has become the end of Christianity. This is the goal of the Christian faith is to have a good Bible study and to get as many people to it as you possibly can. Now, I'm all for Bible study. I'm teaching the Bible all the time. But the Bible is a, it is a means to a greater goal, isn't it? It's not the end. It's the means to get us to God, in touch with God, experiencing God, knowing God. So if I'm just up there giving Bible studies, but I never let the people experience God, then I'm doing a disservice to the people in my church. This, uh, this year, as we, as we came into this new year, I really was just saying, Lord, you know, I need some fresh direction. I need a fresh vision. I'm, you know, I'm just going through this routine. I'm just doing this. I, I do the Saturday night Bible study at Costa Mesa. And I do the, the Thursday evening men's Bible study. And I just was feeling like there's got to be something fresh. So, you know, I, I really began to seek the Lord. I really began to pray and ask the Lord, you know, what, what do you want to do? And, you know, one of the things that I feel, and, and I want to say a couple things that might trouble you guys a bit, but... I'll explain it and maybe it won't trouble you so much. You know, I understand the emerging church. I understand what these guys are saying. Now, I think they're making, again, the classic mistake of going from one extreme to another. But I understand some of what they're saying. Because it's true. People aren't even given the opportunity to experience God these days. And it's become so much just information oriented. Now, I, I read, you know, I'm in the midst of a generous orthodoxy, Brian McLaren reading his book. And, you know, there's much of it, I think this is rubbish. But there's some of it, I think, you know, he's right about this. It, it just would be good if they could, you know, keep the balance and not, not go to the extreme. I, I think there's a very dangerous element in that whole movement. But there are some parts of it that are legit. They're reacting. Again, they're seeing something and they're saying, I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. We've been in that rut too long. We need to change. And, and that's, of course, true with the, the seeker thing as well. You know, that was sort of the impetus behind the seeker movement even coming about. These guys looking around and realizing we are so out of touch with the culture. We, we, we've got to get back in touch with people. And, and then again, I think a good idea, of course you want to be in touch with the people you're ministering to, but of course there's always the tendency toward excesses and going you know, further than you ought to with some of those things. But, you know, here's the thing. I just feel like everything has become so predictable in church. It's just, it's so predictable. We get up and we condemn people for tradition. we got our own traditions. <laughs> They're not the same as... The, the Baptists necessarily or the Episcopalians or the Catholics but there are traditions we do it and Chuck you know it's funny the other morning he was teaching on the subject of tradition and he went right down the line and he described our service this is what we do every week 
right on the button. You say this, you do that, you open your Bible, you read this, you give the sermon, and, you know. So anyway, back to my story before I diverted there. Uh, I'm saying, Lord, this is too predictable. We need, I need some new direction. So anyway, here's what the Lord put on my heart. The Lord put on my heart to uh, do two things. Um, number one, he put on my heart, bring bring some music back in. Bring some musicians back in. Not the big name people. Just bring in some gifted people that have something that they can share with the body. And so I decided, okay, every other week I'm going to have somebody come in and I'm going to ask them to do a couple songs. But not just a couple songs, but I want them to share a testimony. I want them to share what God's speaking to them. What, you know, so they're hearing somebody beside me. Uh, something that God's doing. That's one thing. The second thing the Lord showed me is on the other week, what I want you to do is I want you to go immediately from your teaching into an extended time of worship and I want you to give people an opportunity to minister to one another with the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to call people forward and lay hands on them, praying for them, anointing them with oil. I don't want you to send them off to a room somewhere. I want it to be done here with the congregation. God's moving. He's blessing. And it's refreshing. Man, I'm going to... I can't wait for Saturday night. You know, I'll tell you honestly, at the end of last year, it was like, uh, I, you know, okay, yeah, Saturday night, here it comes again. <laughs> Seriously. And now I'm like, oh, Saturday night's coming. And, and another thing, you know, that just kind of the connection with all that too, was the Lord just brought me back to, just teaching through the Gospel of John. And, and just looking at Jesus Christ himself. Here's the Lord. Look what he's doing. Look how he's interacting with people. Listen to what he's saying about this. And But my point, of course, is the Spirit. But going back to that point of just saying, hey, you are gifted by God. You you have gifts of the Spirit. Are you baptized in the Spirit? You're not baptized in the Spirit? Come on up here. Let's pray for you. Let's lay hands on you. We want to pray that God will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, but here's what I'm doing too. Every other week, as I said, I'm doing that. But I'm, I'm fighting against even that becoming predictable. So every other week, I'm like, Lord, okay, we did this two weeks ago. And maybe you want to do that again tonight, but maybe not. So we, we just want to be open. Um, the week before last when I did it, oh, actually I'm doing it with the men as well as Saturday night, so I'm kind of getting the things confused, which was which. Um, but I do it once a month with our men's fellowship. And last week when we did it with our men, you know what we did? For one hour, we just praised the Lord. We just praised the Lord. Our Our guy with the... You know, the guitar would sing a song or two and then he'd pause and then all over the congregation, men just, I said, hey, don't pray anything petitionally. Just thank God. Just praise Him for who He is, what He's done in your life. And for one hour, that's what we did that night. And man, you know, afterward, the guys are you know, hugging each other and there's just this sense. So then last Saturday night, um, what we did is we... You know, just had an extended time of worship and the message was on Jesus cleansing the temple and I talked about, you know, maybe God wants to clean up your life tonight. And so a friend of mine who kind of led the the 
extended worship time. He just said, you know what, if, if, if you feel like God wants to do a cleaning work in your life, and come on up and just, if you want to kneel down right in the front here and just seek the Lord. And you know, we had a couple dozen people up there on their faces just crying out to God. And then people, you know, some of the leadership coming along, laying hands on them, praying for them and stuff. You know, I just think, God, man, okay, it's not predictable. <laughs> we, 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 you know, we don't have this. Okay, God, we got you slotted in right here. Now you've got forty minutes to do your thing, and then we've got to run off. You know, and and I am excusing the people. I say, you know, we're ending the service right now, but we're going to go into extended time of worship. If you have to go, if you. I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to think that we think you're not a good Christian if you've got to get up and leave. If you need to go, you go. But if you want to stay, you stay. Two-thirds of the people are staying. And so you sense, you know, that, that there's something happening. And here's the thing, what people are saying to me all the time. You, they're hungry to experience God. And now they're feeling like, oh, we're experiencing God. And that's people are talking about. It's, it's kind of the buzz, you know. The Spirit of God believing in the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, believing in the gifts of the Spirit, depending on the Lord, asking Him to touch and heal. We've seen people getting healed. Powerful stuff. Amazing stuff. A guy comes up a few... It's been about two months ago now and he's just devastated. He says, I've got melanoma. And uh, so, could you pray for me? And he said, I'm so... He said, I'm so afraid and I'm so full of anxiety. I haven't slept since I got the diagnosis back. And so I just, I said, let's pray. We prayed for him. Came back a week later and he said, can you pray for me again? They're going to go test my lymph nodes and all of that now. And, and I said, yeah. I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, he said, the minute you prayed for me, all the anxiety was lifted off me. I said, praise the Lord. So we prayed. Two weeks later, he comes back. He says, I'm cancer free. I have no cancer in my body. I just want to praise the Lord. So, I believe the Spirit of God wants to continue to move among us. And we need to remember this is our history. These are our roots. This is what we're about. We're not cessationist. We're not charismatic in the -the over-the-top sense, obviously. But we believe in the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. The fourth thing, and this is a distinctive that's not stated in the book. I think it's implied just in an overall sense. But a friend of mine actually said this to me when he was trying to define for somebody what Calvary was or some of the distinctives. He said, you know, there's the distinctive of simplicity. And right when he said it, I thought, wow, yeah, that, that's right. There is a distinctive of simplicity. That's really what this ministry is kind of built on, you know, the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. You remember Paul's concern for the Corinthians, and you remember the Corinthians were caught up in intellectualism because of their culture, the Greek situation there. Paul says, I'm, I'm worried about you that, that as the serpent beguiled Eve, so you have been robbed of the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. And, and there's a simplicity that I think the Lord honors. And he blesses. And, you know, I was for many years a, an avid 
Martin Lloyd-Jones devotee. I love Lloyd-Jones. I've read every one of his books. I've got 500 of his tapes. I pastored right behind his old church. I prayed that God would give me that church. He hasn't done that, but I prayed for it. But you know, I realized something about Lloyd-Jones at one point, and in contrasted, being, being contrasted with Chuck. And, you know, being such an admirer of Lloyd-Jones, I, I, I remember one night I was kind of, you know, sitting and I was just thinking about this. And I was thinking, you know, what would it have been like to actually go to Westminster Chapel? I had, when I was pastoring in London, I had several members of Westminster Chapel who joined our church who previously had been there under the ministry of Dr. Lloyd-Jones. So I'd sit with them and talk with them and they'd tell me all the stories and, oh, this is great, you know. But I remember one night I was just sort of sitting there thinking about, well, you know, what would it have been like to sit there and listen to Lloyd-Jones? And I thought, you know, here's what it would have been like for me. I would have sat there in awe and utter amazement at the, the power and the anointing upon this man. And I would have walked out of there thinking, that was powerful, that was awesome, that was glorious. But I'll tell you what I never would have thought. I never would have thought for one moment I could do that. That would have been the last thing on my mind. I would have never thought that. But here's the thing with Chuck. When I used to sit as a, as a 22-year-old guy and listen to Chuck, I thought, you know, I think I could do that. There was a simplicity about it that drew me in. That I had a sense that I could do what he's doing. And that's something that I think is so key to this ministry of Calvary Chapel. And that's what has spawned the 1,200 or so churches that we have. It's ordinary guys. And I love that you know, point about the apostles. You know the story in Acts. What did they say about them? These are ignorant and uneducated men. What were they really saying? They were saying, these are just ordinary guys. That's what they were. They were ordinary guys. Historically, God has used, the majority of men that God has used have been ordinary guys. There's occasionally an extraordinary fellow that comes along, a Lloyd-Jones or you know somebody like that. <laughs> Lloyd-Jones, though, he was so funny because, of course, he would emphasize this whole point, too. He would emphasize the simplicity. He talked about the Methodist movement. The, the worst thing that ever happened to the Methodist movement is when they embraced you know, intellectualism and moved away from the simplicity that Wesley had laid down. Lloyd-Jones would preach that on the one hand, but then he would sort of contradict himself. And I remember reading his first chapter in Romans when he talked about the greatness of the Apostle Paul. And he compared Paul and he illustrated it with Luther and some of the different great men in church history, how they were brilliant. They were this and that and the other thing. I was so depressed by the time I got through that first chapter. I just thought, okay, I am, you know, it was sort of like if, if Luther hadn't been a reformer, he would have been a king or if, you know, so-and-so hadn't been the prime minister or, you know, he would have done this. And I think, well, gee, let's look at Brian Broderson. If he hadn't been uh, called by God into the ministry, he'd be a surf bum. He'd be, you know, I had n- nothing uh, noble or glorious to say, of course, I would have gone on to be the president had I not done this, you know. And, and I remember closing that and just being depressed, thinking, well, I guess God really probably can't use me because apart from him, I'm nothing. <laughs> but that's what Jesus said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But it's that simplicity. 
the simplicity. And I think, too, there's something very beautiful and attractive about the simplicity in the way we approach the ministry, too. Now, there's a big temptation to move away from simplicity in the approach to ministry. You know, there are those ministries where it is a massive production just to pull off a Sunday service. You've got hundreds of people involved. You've got tens of thousands of dollars being put into it. And, you know, you've got the the pastor who will go out, you know, maybe he'll have a Bible in his hand, maybe not, maybe it's up on the screen. And he will, you know, share a few verses and a thought and then he'll say, and you know, that reminds me of, and then he'll point over to the screen and boom, there's the illustration right there. And then he'll carry on, you know, and then he'll go a little bit further and he goes, you know, and that, that, you know, that one song, it just really kind of brings it home and, you know, he'll point to the band and they'll strike the chord and they'll play the song. Here's my question. What happens when you have a power failure? What are you going to do then? <laughs> you know? And here's my solution. If you can't do it with a Bible and an acoustic guitar, you need to reevaluate what you're doing. I'm not saying you can't do some of these things, but the point is, you know, it really complicates things a lot. It takes away the simplicity. And it puts you in a position of pretty much having to keep it up and kind of outdo yourself every week. You know, like Chuck has said, if you strive to obtain it, you're going to have to strive to maintain it. And if you've got to, you know, do all of this stuff. And and for me, when I went to England, I went with this determination. I was absolutely convinced of this, that what England needed was the Bible restored. And I went with this conviction and this determination. I'm going to go and we're going to plant a church and we're going to do it around the Bible. That's what we're going to do. So if and when the time comes that the Lord calls me to leave, the work can carry on. Now, you know, I had a few connections back here. I could have gone in and I could have said, okay, we're going to have this speaker and that guy and this musician and that band and we're going to do this whole thing. And actually some guys would come and visit me and they'd say, you know, Brian, haven't you been up on the technology. Don't you know what we can do today? And they've got all these little gadgets they're carrying around with them. And we can, you know, you can send this back home and put it up on their screen and all of this stuff. And, you know, maybe it's just because I'm a fairly simple guy that none of that stuff appealed to me. But I just had this deep conviction that we need to build this ministry around the simple exposition of the Bible. And, you know, that's what we did. And then I didn't know at the time that God was going to call us to leave. I, I kind of thought we were going to stay there the rest of our lives. But the Lord did call us to leave. And guess what? The church has gone on. And other churches have been planted. And they're all doing really well. What are they doing? Well, they're just opening up the Bible. Sharing the Word of God. In simplicity. I think simplicity is a real key for us. To maintain the simplicity. And then the last thing is of course love. Love. Love for each other. The love for the the body of Christ. You know, it's so easy, and it happens to everybody, I think. It's not exclusively a Calvary Chapel problem. It's just a, a church problem. Everybody, you know, they like 
their group the best. Everybody thinks their group is the best. And when you think your group is the best, inevitably you sort of get an attitude toward every other group <laughs> to some extent. And, and you lose love and you, and you lose, I think, the bigger picture. You know, there's a guy named Patrick Johnston who's, uh, he wrote a book called Operation World and he, he looks at the whole world. Every country gives you all the stats, you know, um, concerning that country, both from the, just the, you know, regular secular standpoint as well as the spiritual standpoint. But Patrick Johnston also wrote a book called The Church is Bigger Than You Think. And, I think the title, you know, says it all. The church is bigger than we think. It it is bigger than Calvary Chapel. It goes beyond Calvary Chapel. I I don't know. I think the Lord taught me a lot ministering in Europe, living in London for four years, still having ongoing ministry in Europe today. You know, we're planting churches all over Europe. We've got a couple hundred churches planted in Europe now. But we need so many more. But you know what? I don't even really care if we go around planting Calvary chapels. We have been able to see the Anglican church start teaching the Bible again in, in, the, in the little town of Ilfracombe. We've seen the Baptist church in, in Croy, Devon, start teaching the Bible again. A friend of mine has a school of ministry. He's Calvary Chapel in a little village called Wollacombe. And he teaches it with the Baptist pastor, the Anglican pastor, the Methodist pastor, and they got people from all of their churches coming to the school of ministry. We did an outreach. We do an, uh, an annual outreach in the UK. We did uh, a, a music festival preaching thing. And last year we had 25 churches involved with us from the local area. We have one Calvary Chapel in the area, 25 other churches involved. And you know, the Lord has just been speaking to me over the past few years about this whole thing. You know, that we need to love each other. And not, I mean, obviously we need to start right at home in Calvary Chapel. But we need to love the people of God, the body of Christ. We need to recognize that the body of Christ is, it's a lot broader than we realize. And this is where I have... You know, in some areas, like I said earlier, I appreciate our distinctives and I agree with them. But not to the extent that I want to break fellowship with somebody who doesn't agree with some of them. You know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's obviously things that you can't fellowship with people if they hold to the idea that Jesus is not really God the Son, he's really Michael the Archangel. Obviously, you're not going to have fellowship with that person. But you know, a person who doesn't really agree with me on the timing of the rapture isn't a person that I need to cut myself off from and say, oh, bad, bad. You know, that, to me, that's, it's, it's, I think in the end, as I look at it, to me, it's just a bit childish. You know, going into Britain, Britain is historically a millennial. And if you do find premillennial people, they are, every one of them, post-tribulational. They just can't even, for the life of them, get their head around the idea of a pre-tribulational rapture. Now, I'm pre-trib to the bone. But, you know what, in the end, I frankly, I don't even care. I just don't care. <laughs> you know, if you want to be post-trib, I don't care. 
That's not, to me, that's not a core issue. That's not something that I want to spend my life, you know, and, and like I'm saying, I'm talking about in the context of a country that God has called me to minister in, where, you know, these guys just need to get back to the Bible. I'm not going to be splitting hairs with them over, you know, uh, an issue that there historically is controversial in the first place. And obviously it's not... Again, please understand me. I am pre-trib. I, I fully believe pre-tribulationalism. But, but I don't think it's a clear-cut issue, is it? It, there, it couldn't be so clear-cut as to have so many different opinions about it. Anything that has a variety of opinions about, obviously, isn't crystal clear in Scripture. So, this is where I feel like, as, as a movement, we need to love each other. We need to love the body of Christ. We need to recognize, man, God's people are everywhere. And even, you know, even in some of the places that I don't think are all that great. I, I, my dentist, his entire staff goes to a church that I have spoken out against. These are the preciousest, preciousest, that's not right, a word, most precious. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. <laughs> They're precious people. They're wonderful people. Every time I go to the dentist, I think, oh, these guys are so great. They're so sweet. They're telling me about the, what the Lord's doing in their life. And I'm thinking, great, yeah. How many times have I talked about their church on the radio? <laughs> it's Saddleback. Rick Warren. Secret friendly, yeah. No, no, this is here. So, you know, God uses these things to show you. And um, again, I'm what I'm sharing with you guys, I think, is just... And, you know, Chuck has said this over the years, and he quoted he's quoted G. Campbell Morgan uh, sort of to back this up, but he said, the more biblical you become, the less denominational you become. And, you know, it's it's really true. Now, again, I don't agree with the philosophy of ministry at Saddleback per se. I, I wouldn't do that uh, for myself. But I can't deny that Rick Warren is being used by God. I can't deny that thousands of people have come to know Jesus through what he's doing. And should I really go out of my way to throw stones at the guy? I, any more? You know, 15 years ago, I would have stood up here and told you, yes, and I'll give you 10 reasons why. But I don't feel that way now. Am I compromising? Am I backsliding? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm just growing in love. And I'm realizing that the church is bigger than I thought. So to me, guys, this is the essence of what it's all about. The centrality of Jesus, the word and prophetic power, the spirit being free to move, the simplicity and the love. And, you know, a lot of the times what our contentions are over these days are more philosophies of ministry rather than, you know, obviously doctrinal issues we can't, certain doctrinal issues we can't budge on. But when it comes to philosophies of ministry, and even within the movement of Calvary Chapel itself, we have some varying philosophies, and that's where I think we need to just be gracious toward one another and say, okay, I don't do that that way, but who am I to judge another man's servant before his own mastery stands or falls? If he needs to do it a different way, God can convict him and tell him, do it a different way. <laughs>